Today's message is called Spouse Hunting. Okay, now, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Some of you think, oh, I'm already married. Honey, I knew we shouldn't have come today. It's not for us, no? I certainly didn't tell you that we were going to be doing it today, because I know how you think. Uh, I want you to trust that you're going to get something from God today, because what we're going to do is we're going to establish some principles Really, I'm going to give you seven, I think seven, maybe eight, I think seven uh, key analysis points when choosing a spouse. Uh, But in that are principles that you need in your life. All Christians need these principles in their lives, okay? And so usually the word is preached and you're supposed to put it into your heart, put it into your life, make sure that you're living these things. But when you're spouse hunting... It's kind of like deer hunting. No, I'm sorry. When you're spouse hunting, that's your one chance to analyze someone else. You have a right to analyze someone else's life before you connect to them for eternity or for earth eternity. And so I want you to just keep an open uh, head about this. Now, some of you have no... Well, first of all, some of you are already married, and you're thinking, I don't know what this is for. Well, you'll learn. And then number two, uh, some people think, I don't want to be married. That's good. You don't have to be married. Nobody has to get married if you don't want to be married. Uh, Now, if you want to have sex in the earth, you have to get married. Some people decide they're not going to get married because of the failures and all that. Okay, fine. That's fine. But you don't get to have sex. I better get to the Bible as fast as possible. (laughs) Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I'll make you swear by the Lord. Don't worry about the thigh thing. That was a a sign of humility and humbleness and covenant. And I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you'll not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Stop there. So as you recall, Abraham had to leave his family to go to the promised land. But then he had a son. He's like, I want to make sure my son marries somebody that I'm comfortable with and not a heathen. And so he's sending his servant to go back to where he was from and, and find Isaac a wife. Okay. So here the, here the servant is hearing these words, like this is pretty crucial here. And he says, he's kind of worried about it. He's kind of concerned about it. Verse eight He says, and if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only don't take my son back there. The servant's like, what if she won't come? Can I bring Isaac back to the land? He said, no, you can't do that. Abraham's trying to follow the promise of God. And so verse 12, then he said, oh Lord God. So he travels to go find a wife. He gets there to the well where he's going to drink. And he says this. 
Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day. I mean, he's spouse hunting for somebody else. You've done that before. You mamas have done that before. He said, oh, Lord God, my master, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you've appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you've shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, she comes to the well. Stop there. So here he's praying. He's really, he's really telling God how to connect him to the answer, right? Now, you and I really should not follow that pattern because he didn't know God. He believed in God. He knew Abraham believed in God, but he had no leading. He had no Holy Spirit. He had really nothing. And so he was just telling God, push the green button, this green button. And uh, you and I really can't do that. Gideon did the same thing. People in the Old Testament did not have the Holy Spirit, so they could not be led by God's Spirit. But in the New Testament, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. So don't be, uh, don't act like a, don't be an elementary child uh, trying to tell God how to show you the answer. You'll get yourself in trouble, right? God, I'm going to church today. I've been waiting a long time for a spouse. So I want you to let the persons, the, the person that gives me the first donut on donut day, that's my spouse, okay? Amen. Can you see the risk in that? If you're a woman, what if the first person giving you a donut is a woman? What if the next, what if the first guy is already married? There has been some strange beliefs from people where people show up and say, well, God told me that that person is to be my spouse. Like, no, they're already married. Yeah, but God told me. Yeah, but you're, you're an idiot. There's been some really stupid things done in the name of, I got to get married. <clears throat> so the story goes, you can read it for yourself later. The story goes that Rebecca did exactly what the servant had asked, that she uh, give water to him and his camels. And then he knew that this was the one. And so she did finally agree to go back with him uh, to meet Isaac. So it's a glorious story from the Old Testament helping a mate find a mate, helping a person find a mate. Uh, but you and I have to be very careful with it and do it on the spiritual side is fine. Okay. I would say this, that one of the secrets is making sure you know where the well is. Make sure that you're in your place. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, turn with me to second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six. Now 
Number one, we'll do this. Number one principle, number one point, number one to look for, uh, or the number one guideline. We'll call these guidelines. Number one guideline in choosing a mate is the person must be of the opposite sex. Just the way it is. In the beginning, God created them male and female. Male and female, he created them. And then God said that the man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, be joined to his wife. It's just husband and wife. It's never wife and wife or husband and husband. It's just not the way it is. Somebody says, well, that's not how I feel though. I understand that. But decide that God will be the Lord of your life. Decide to obey God. Ask him to help you out of wrong feelings. Get the power of God in your life. Make the Holy Spirit and the power of God the sole focus of your life. Let Jesus shine bright in your life. Focus on him, chase him, and let him change the old sin nature you you feel born with. You could have other problems in life. You need that to change too. Let the Holy Spirit and his comfort and his authority help you overcome the devil and help you overcome that sin nature. Amen? I remember one time a, a girl came saying that she wanted to be baptized, but we all knew she was a lesbian or thought she was. I said, well, we'll certainly baptize you. so wonderful that you want to follow the Lord Jesus, uh, but you're not, with, you're, not, you're not going to be a lesbian anymore, are you? She said, I knew you were going to say that. So you can't get baptized if you're, if you're not going to turn from that because everybody knows that would be a public sin. You, you can't can't do both. And she, in, in talking with her, you know, tried to help her. And she understood. She goes, I knew you were going to say that. But in helping her understand, she said this, she says, but this, this girl is the only person that ever showed me unconditional love. I understand that. I'm sorry for that. I wish you had more Christians in your life that would show you unconditional love. So I'm sorry for what you've experienced, but that's not an excuse to deviate from God. You got to be very careful of that. The devil wants to pull people away and he uses all sorts of pressure or all sorts of emotional weight to steer people wrongly. You got to be very careful of those things because it'll destroy your life. Even the fornication side, if you're planning on having sex without marriage, uh, then what's going to happen is at first it's going to seem fine because you're fulfilling a lust in your flesh. But then all of a sudden what happens over time or pretty quickly after you find damage in your soul. Your soul is hurt and injured, your body is hurt and injured, and your future self is injured. And, and teenagers don't recognize that, and young adults don't recognize that until later. And then you're trying to deal with all the damage you created for your own self. So you got to be careful of that. And that's one of the most alluring things about finding the wrong spouse, is that they like me. This person, li- finally somebody likes me. And it's such an attraction that people, they just get mesmerized like this haze of color. They like me. They love me. But this person wants me. And it feels so good they'll ignore all the spiritual principles that should have guided them away from that person in the first place. Like you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have had five paragraphs of discussion with that person if they didn't fulfill some of these other key principles you're looking for. So what happens, people give their soul over too quickly 
and fall in love, fall into infatuation, start liking because they like. You know, that's, that's a powerful feeling, that attraction. Uh, but you've got to be very careful with that. Don't let that happen before these other things. So here's the other things. Number two, the person must be saved. They must be born again. I mean, you must be born again too. Okay, you must be born again. You must be saved. I'm only really preaching to Christians here. But this is how you can start trusting the person that you're about to marry or that you could possibly marry. Like in the Old Testament, they, the rule was don't marry outside the Jewish family. So that for, for why? Why can't you marry outside the Jewish family? So that you can trust their upbringing. You can trust their belief system. They, they read the same Torah as we do. So that's what you trust, the Old Testament. But now you can only marry people that believe in Jesus Christ like you do, the right way. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness? Well, none, not supposed to. And what communion does light have with darkness? None. You turn the light on in a dark room and there's only light. You can't have both. And what accord has Christ with Belial, false God, or what part does a believer have with an unbeliever? Not supposed to have any. Now I have to give another disclaimer because many of you married a spouse that wasn't saved. And so now you're thinking, oh my gosh, I really messed things up. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you messed up plan A. Maybe you, maybe you were the heathen <laughs> and married a believer. And now you're looking at him thinking, why'd you marry me? <laughs> Listen, we all, most of you did not do all these principles I'm given before you got married. So where are, from where you're at right now is how you begin to recover. Now, if you're already married, you can't get divorced. There's some instruction in the Bible about if, you're, if your mate wants to leave you, then you're not under bondage, but don't leave them. If your mate's pleased to continue dwelling with you, even though you, one's a believer, one's not a believer, then you stick it out. Make sense? So you can't just get divorced because somebody's not saying, well, that wasn't God's perfect plan for me, so I'm getting divorced. You got to read the rest of the Bible because there's instruction for you not to do that. Because your unbelieving spouse is sanctified by you. Meaning there's, a, there's some sort of bubble of protection and possibility for them to change and get saved because of you. They're set apart because of you. And so you got you to follow other scripture. But I'm not teaching on that today. I just want you to recognize if you're already married to an unbeliever or if you didn't do this thing right and you got married from, you met somebody in a bar, fine, fine, fine. Just do your best starting today. Get saved today. Get born again today. But the scripture says equally yoked, equally yoked, meaning the same path, the same steps to yoke two oxen together is done so that they can both pull together the same strength, the same stride. If you were to uh, yoke a cow and a horse together, it's not going to go very far, very fast, very strong. Make sense? So don't be unequally yoked. And that would be not just somebody that raises the Jesus flag and says, I believe in Jesus. There's, there's something deeper in there, isn't there? 
There's a lot of people that profess to believe in Jesus, and there's a lot that they don't know and a lot that they don't really believe. So you got to do some checking. Um, we could say, do they, have they read the book of Acts yet? Have they gone through Acts chapter 2? Have they been filled with the Holy Spirit? That'd be a good, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and like it, and care about the Holy Spirit and your life of power with tongues, your mate's going to need to as well. If you're a half-hearted Christian, that's why so many half-hearted, so many half-hearted Christians marry other half-hearted Christians. And I'm like, well, at least they're equally yoked. <laughs> but if you're serious with God, if you really want to please the Lord and get a well done at the end, if having a, a healthy relationship with God uh, matters to you, you better find somebody else that has the same desire. Praise the Lord. And here's what happens when you get married. Uh, first, first thing is just eyeballs. I like the way they look. Then it's, I like their personality. And then it's, you get married, it's spiritual stuff. Now, what's more important to you, your physical or your spiritual? Well, for a, a sincere Christian, it's always spiritual. All of a sudden you're married, that, that most important part of your life, you want to be together and agree with somebody. Isn't that right? So you have to do a lot of checking to make sure that when we get married, that's going to happen. Otherwise, your conflicts will be elevated. Like, you know, a carnal, a carnal marriage, all they're arguing about is, you know, where to eat and who has the best hamburger and what kind of car you want to buy and where you want to live. Those are minor compared to what you believe about God. And how we're going to be led by the Holy Spirit and, and, and how we're going to serve God at church or not. All of a sudden, if you want to serve God and you want to be faithful to the Lord all your, the days of your life, your spouse needs to as well. Because what will happen is you'll start going to church without them and then you'll feel guilty. Then you'll go home and stay with them. And they'll put pressure on it. I've seen this happen. People put pressure. You're always going to church. Why don't you stay home and go be with me? You serve God whether your spouse does or not. But every time that happens, there's conflict in, a, in their soul. And they got to deal with these things. If you have a chance, if you're not married yet, know that ahead of time. Praise the Lord. So the person must be saved, filled with the Spirit, faithful to the Lord, faithful at church. And they must be humble to God's Word. We'll talk about that a little bit. They must be humble to God's Word. Like when the word is read, when the word is spoken, they say, ooh, yeah, ooh, not, eh. Somebody says, well, that's so hard to find. Well, show up at the well every day. Show up at the, the right well every day. Show up at church. Show up at church. That's what I did. When I, when I got back with God, I'm like, whoa, I'm going to church. That's where you're supposed to find your mate. I tried, I tried every bar in, in Texas. I looked all over the United States. This is before online dating. All that does is give you more chances to fail. Finally, I said, I'm going to church. 
And then I was at a church where there was plenty of opportunity, you know, hundreds of singles my age. And then God led me to a small church where there was nobody my age. It was one. There was one. I thought, maybe this is the one. In my heart, though, I committed, I'm going to find my mate at church. I decided, I'm going to find my mate at church. Or, or in some gospel meeting somewhere, because I was traveling, doing some stuff. I'm going to find him in church. And that's just it. I'm, I'm going to commit to church. I'm going to make sure I'm in my seat in case they show up. So in church, it's like, wonder if that's the one. Wonder if that's the one. I say I did it with one eye open. I mean, I wasn't chasing, but I'm open. I'm not stupid. But I decided I'm going to get my mate at church. And so I'm going to stay faithful at church. I'm going to be there every single service. I'm not going to miss anything. I'm never going to skip because that could be the day that that fella shows up at the well. The servant finding Rebecca. I, that, could be the, that could be the moment be very important for me to be in the right place at the right time and be led by the Holy Spirit. And so don't, don't choose your church. Don't choose your well with your eyeballs. You choose the place where you live and serve by the will of God, by the Spirit of God. And so in that process, some of you know my story, but I had uh, wanted a wife, been open to a wife. But before I asked for a wife, I said, Lord, I don't have to be married if you don't want me to be married or if that's not really the perfect plan, I'm willing not to be married. But I think I want to be married. <laughs> and so if it's okay with you, I'd like to be married. And I felt a confirmation that, yeah, you can, you can be married. And so I said, okay, then I, I ask you, Lord, for a wife, a good wife. Thank you, God. Amen. Because I had found Mark eleven twenty four. what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And so I desired a wife. And so I believed, I asked, and I believed that I received her right then. And, and I just, that was the, that was my last prayer about a spouse. I wasn't chasing girls everywhere. I, I was doing my best to, I was, I was keeping them away from me. I, I did. You, you got to keep yourself away from people. I, I did not tell my best jokes. I did not do flirting with girls. I made sure I didn't lead them on. I was not open. They all felt it too. So much so, it was like, what's wrong with him? I have stiff arms, that's what's wrong. Until I knew it was God's will, nobody gets in. I'm not giving my soul to anybody unless I know it's God's will. No way. No. That would be wrong to them. That would hurt them. And so I hung in there with my prayer. God, will, I'll know who it is. He, he's, he, he's perfecting me. I got a lot. To, he's got to work on me pretty. I got a lot to work on to be godly. And then at some point in the process, I'm thinking, my wife must really have a lot to work on. <laughs> but I hung in there year after year. No wife showed up. Uh, after one year, people would ask, you know, when you get married, I don't know, but I, she's on her way because I prayed. I asked God uh, what things soever I desire. I, when I pray, believe that I receive them and I'll have them. So I've already asked God, so she's on her way. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that was my testimony that I've got her. I've got her because I prayed that. 
And then year two, and then year three, and year four. And all this time, I'm thinking, yeah, well, she's on her way. No problem. She's on her way. I'll be in the right place at the right time. I'm going to serve God faithfully, follow the Spirit all the time, every day, every meeting, every, every week, every year. And then fifth year goes by, no wife. Sixth year goes by, no wife. I'm not discouraged. I'm not looking at the clock. I'm trusting God. God, I'm already 30 years old. That wasn't my thought. When I got to 30 years old, you know what my thought was? Wow, I'm in the perfect age because I could, I could marry a 20-year-old or a 40-year-old. I got 20 years of space. I, I, whichever, whichever doesn't matter to me, just bring them on. See, that's a, that attitude, I didn't realize it, but that attitude is, that's trust in God. You know, not pigeonholing my perfect dream. You don't do that. You gotta, you gotta be cool about this. Does anybody know how to be cool anymore? Listen, if you trust God, you can be cool. Trust him. I'm not worried. Six year, no wife. Never, never prayed again for a spouse. Never prayed again. Not once. I promise you, I never prayed again for a spouse. If I ever thought about it, I would just say, thanks, Lord. I'm sure you're working on her. Thanks, Lord. I'm sure you're bringing her. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about it. I'm already thanking God like you're supposed to when you ask for something. And then year seven shows up and she didn't come walking in the door of the church. She was already in the church for two years, sitting one seat behind me. And it's like, wow, that's the one? No sense delaying. Let's get this show on the road. Glory to God. And the reason I could, I could be kind of quick about it, I felt, is because, hey, I knew she was faithful. She covered, she checked a lot of boxes because I watched for two years. I knew her acquaintedly for two years. And so we had a little leg up and that's why we could, because most people, they do that without knowing stuff. And it's dangerous. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Number three. Number three. Are they diligent? You're looking for this. Are they diligent in life? Are they diligent in life? It just means somebody that's disciplined themselves enough to succeed. Are they diligent in life? How would you know that? Well, how'd they do in school? Do they... Esteem any kind of education whatsoever. Are they learners? How about a job? Do they have a job? Do they have a car? Do they have a clean car? <laughs> These things tell the future for your life. How are they with finances? Am I detecting any wisdom here? Or does my future include a lot of babysitting? Are there, are there dreams and plans? First of all, do they have any dreams and plans? And second, are those dreams and plans realistic? Have they allowed the Lord, have, have they allowed the Lord to develop them at all? Like, are they in the process of discipleship? Are they serious about growing in Christ? 
character, faith, belief, power, that I may know him and the power. Are they pursuing God? You need to know this. And and you need to be pursuing God. People pursuing a, a mate don't have time to pursue God. And you need to recognize that they're, you need to know where they're at so that you don't interfere. We've seen that several times where somebody becomes a Christian, a brand new Christian shows up at church and, or, or gets saved at church. And uh, we've had this happen in church. A guy, you know, the guys are like, whoa, whoa, check this girl out. I'm like, guys, you stay away from her. Stay away from her. She just met Jesus. Let, let her fall in love with Jesus. Don't, don't interfere with that. She's not ready for you. you. You'll suffer if you do this. She'll suffer if you do this. You let that person meet Jesus and get acquainted with Jesus and get strong in Christ. Otherwise, that mate is going to come into this marriage weak and frail, and you're going to be affected by it. You're looking for a developed person in Christ. And, and there's exception cases. Sure, there's exception. Some of you are like, Whew, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expect an exception case. No, look, the Lord's very merciful. There's been many people that married a brand new Christian, and it's been fine. It's been fine. But listen, as much as you can, you follow these principles. As much as you can, you, you expect your mate to be developed before you marry. Well, I'm going to teach them once we get married. No, you're not. That's the same line of, you know, I'm going to save them. I'm with this person. God's put us together. I'm going to lead them to Christ. I'm going to be their hero. I'm going to be their spiritual guide. We call that missionary dating. No, no. If you're going to date, they must be saved first. So get them saved. I used to disciple this teenage boy. And he got saved, got filled with the Spirit, so excited about the Lord. Uh, but he's ready, man. He's 16 years old. He's ready to get married. 17 years old, ready to get married. 18 years old, man. He's, he's wide-eyed. One time I took him to this restaurant, and there was a uh, pretty girl over on the, on the line or wherever. And I saw him, man. He's like. I said, you better go get her saved, or you can't look at her. It crushed him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So you got to find out a lot of stuff, right? You got to you got to ask some questions. You got to spend some time before you give your soul over, before you give your any emotion over, before you give your phone number. You got to find out some stuff. How am I going to find out if I don't give my phone number? Show up at church. Well, they don't go to church. There's your answer. Uh, uh, Brother Creflo did a funny, a funny thing. Y'all probably remember from years ago about asking questions. You know, what's your name? Is that your real name? When can I meet your parents? Do you have parents? How do you act when you get mad? Do you throw things? Do you beat people up? Do you have a job? How long have you worked there? Do they pay you at that job? 
Do you have a bank account? Are you in debt? Can I see your credit score? Do you, do you pay for the gas in your car or do your parents pay for it? Do you take showers every day or every other day? He said, what is your relationship with soap and water? Just little things you need to find out. So number four here is, what was their past like? What was their past like? And, I, and, and it's not so that we can interview them in some uncomfortable psychiatrist chair, okay? But you need to get a sense of what their childhood was like to some degree. Well, how can you tell? Well, um, for instance, did someone raise them or did they raise themselves? You can find a lot out about that. Were they ever told no as a child? If they weren't, their adulthood will show it. And you can see that. Uh, attitudes, behavior, their, their outlook on life. What's it like? A lot of that started when they were a child. Your, your, your perspective in life is formed by age 12. By age 12, that forms your cognizance of the world around you. The way you relate to people, your attitudes are formed before age 12. You need to find out a little bit about where they come from. Now, regardless of where they come from, they can all be healed. And they should all be in a, in a healing stage of some sort, allowing the Lord to heal broken hearts, allowing their character to be developed by Christ, allowing the Word of God to shape and form their new belief system. So none of us really had a perfect uh, 0 through 12 upbringing, but you need to know something from it because it, it will prove how they're going to be with you. What fears and anxieties do they live with? Lot, there's been a lot, lots of abuse that people have encountered as a child. Uh, are they allowing the Lord to heal them of that? If, they, if, if not, it'll show up in the marriage. You've got to be very aware of those things. Not that you have to know all the details of somebody's life. You don't need to know all the details of your spouse's past. But you do need to see signs that they've recovered from whatever it was. And it, or at least they're trying. Acknowledging stuff enough so that they can allow the Lord to take them to the next step. Are they interested in being led by the Holy Spirit? Or are they just carnal, rational thinkers? Are they open to the Lord and to the leading of His Spirit? To the man, are you going to follow the Lord? I mean, if you're a wife looking for a man, you need to see if he's following the Lord. And then to the, to the wife or to the woman, are you going to let your husband follow the Lord? Are you going to be okay with him making a decision that's important in your life? You got to see some of these things. Joni did that before we were uh, courting. So she had this dream, as you've heard, she had a dream that she was going to marry me. She'd been dreaming that for two years. No, just kidding. <laughs> she had no inclination just like I didn't. And so the, the, the season, the fall that, that she, she had this dream that she was going to marry me, and she woke up kind of frantic about it. 
I don't know why she wasn't excited, but she was frantic about it. And her thought was that I didn't know. And she said, God, I am not going to say a word to him. You're going to have to tell him. She said, and, and if you don't tell him and he doesn't know, then I don't want him. If he can't follow you to find me, I'm not following him. So you, husbands and wives, you need to know enough. You need to care enough that your mate follows God enough to find you. The good news was I already knew. I knew before she did. I had, I had been flirting with her for like a month because I knew from God, this is the one. So I was getting as close as I could to her amongst people. We, we, we were doing this group thing every Friday night, doing an outreach thing. And I made sure I sat by her every single time. Even her friends knew that I was flirting. She didn't know. She had her wall up. She was stiff arming guys too, just like she's supposed to. And so anyway, I passed that test. Uh, has the person been married before? Why are they divorced? It is so quiet in here. You could, you could hear a cotton ball drop. There is no elbowing going on right now. <laughs> How delivered are they from the sins of their past? We're looking for 100%. If it's 99.9, .9, okay, but there's a tendency, the stuff you're familiar with from your past shows back up in times of crisis. Be very careful of that. And have mercy. It doesn't mean it's a showstopper because they were a bad sinner. It does mean be aware. Be aware. And know that the signs you're seeing today matter. Are they, are they really committed to the Lord? Are they a fly-by-night type of people? That's why it's important to know how long they've been at the same job. Do they bounce around to everything? No commitments anywhere? It'll be the same with your marriage. Number five. Or, or, or let me say one more thing. Um, there was a, a certain lady at that smaller church I went to. Uh, and sure, I, I was open and it was their potential. You know, I'm asking the Lord. But in dealing with her uh, amongst church things, uh, I noticed that she fibbed. Just little, wonderful woman. But she would fib about insignificant things. And I started detecting this. I'm thinking, is it, am I seeing this right? Am I, what is wrong? I'm like, that's it. I ain't interested. I ain't playing any games. She was highly spiritual, but she fibbed. I'm like, I ain't doing it. That's a showstopper. That type of stuff for somebody that should be more developed in their character, that's it. So when you see red flags, it's a red flag. <laughs> the red means don't, no go. When we, when we prepare couples to be married, red is a no-go, absolutely, it's over. Yellow flags, we can deal with. Red flags, no-go. 
So you need to have some serious red flags that you're prepared for, looking for. All right, number five. Is the person committed to the word? Committed to the word. Are they committed to the word? I'll show you what I mean. Uh, Are you committed to the word? I would never recommend two people, two Christians get married if they're both not committed to the word. I would never recommend it. I might still marry you. I probably uh, would, would strongly recommend not getting married if you're not both committed to the word of God. Meaning, if we open the word of God in your marriage, are you going to say, okay, I'll change? Or are you going to look at your spouse and say, but they committed to the word means I'm going to do it. If it says it, I'm going to do it regardless of my feelings and my emotions, regardless of what they did to me or didn't do to me, I'm going to do my part. Between me and the Lord, I'm committed. I'm committed to this word. Here's a good question to ask. Have you ever read the Bible? Have, have you read the whole Bible? Okay, you can't marry me till you read the whole Bible. Why not? Why not? Don't marry somebody if they haven't read the whole Bible. They don't even know what they believe. How can they believe it? If you haven't read the whole Bible, how, how, do, you, how do you know you believe? How do you know your spouse believes they haven't read the whole Bible? I ain't even read the whole Bible. That's the problem with Christian marriages today. Look, in the old day, there was this whole world today is, has just it's drowned us in worldliness. A hundred years ago, all people had was the Bible to do. So they read it. Christians actually read their Bibles in the old day. And the divorce rate was way lower. Their commitment to God was way higher. They had more fear of God, more respect of God and his word than today. So read your whole Bible. If, if you're not interested in reading the whole Bible, could you at least read the whole New Testament and Genesis and Proverbs and Psalms and Exodus, Leviticus? Divi- oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Praise the Lord. Do you have a relationship with the book of Proverbs? Proverbs help you live a natural life. Some spiritual stuff in there, even though that was before anybody had the Holy Spirit, so it's a lot left out of there, but the book of Proverbs will help you act right in your interactions with people. Praise the Lord. Does this person present signs of a tree planted by rivers of water? Are they solid? Because you're going to have to live under their tree. Whatever tree they are, you're going to have to live under it. Are they a tree planted by the rivers of... Or are they a fake potted plant? You don't know where they're going to be. You don't know what they really stand for. They're all over the place. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Have this, has this spouse, potential spouse, have they spent any time learning how to be a godly wife or godly husband? Have you spent any time 
doing classes, reading books, hearing messages on how to have a godly marriage, how to prepare yourself for marriage, how to be godly, how to be a real Bible husband and a real Bible wife. Uh, do they live 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter? Or is it something that they had their maid of honor read at the wedding? That's it. The great love chapter is there so that you know how love looks, so that you know how agape love acts. Uh, here's another similar account. Uh, you need to know the passages. So every husband in here needs to know these passages. You need to know where to run to in times of marital crisis. Marital bliss moments, you don't need. You don't run to the Bible. I know you. Marital bliss is fine. All of a sudden there's a conflict. Oh God, what do I do? Oh God, help them. Pr fix that. Change them. Change you need to know where to run to in the Bible in times of marital crisis. The only way you would know that is if you've already been pre-trained. So you need pre-training, pre-marriage training before marriage. Like you need pre-driving instruction before driver's license. People don't do that with marriage though. They get married as fast as they can, have some trouble, and then they go get trained. Colossians 3, here's a good passage for you. Mark it, write it down, remind yourself, put it on your calendar to reread. This is one place you can go. There's about three or four that I recommend. Uh, but this is one place you can go when things aren't going your way. And I learned this after I got married. I knew these passages before I got married, but I learned how valuable they were after I got married. Because as you recall, I was, I was Mr. Christian, right? I had seven years to prepare myself to be a godly husband. I read books. I went to the promise keepers. I did everything I could. I learned from all the husbands. I mean, excuse me, all the men in my life who were husbands. And I was ready, man. I was, I'm like, I am going to give this woman the very best Christian man in the whole wide world. There, there's nothing she's not going to like about me. I felt like on wedding day, I showed up with Superman cape. I, I'm the hero of your life. You should recognize that and be very grateful because I have, I have worked on myself for seven years. And then year one, we had a conflict. Maybe it was month one. I don't know. It was pretty quick. It's like, oh, I'm like, oh Lord, Lord. What do I do? What do I do? You know, things not going your way. Oh, what do I do? I mean, you feel like all is lost. This person doesn't see it like I see it. All is lost. What do I do? And I knew what to do. I went to the Bible. This was my trainer all this time. This was my coach the whole time. This was my develop. I go back to I go back to my coach. And I opened the Bible where I knew to go, and this was one of them. Colossians 3, verse 12. How, how do I handle her? What do I say to her? What do I do, Lord? And then this would tell me the word. Listen, the word told me. 
I'm a person, I'm committed to the word. So whatever the word says, that's what I do. Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I'd sit there, ah. Oh. I get, I, all I had to read was that one, one script. Oh. Tender mercies. Kindness. That's what I, that's what I owe her. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Oh. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Oh. And I, I remember, I'd go downstairs, I'd read this upstairs, I'd go back downstairs. Oh, I love you. I'm sorry. That's, it changed me in a moment. The Word of God is supposed to do that to you. If you're yielded to the Word of God, It'll fix your emotional crisis every time. Amen. You can use this in every area of your life. Every time you're anxious, go to the Bible. It says, don't be anxious. Okay. Okay, Lord, I won't be anxious. It's, if, if you're that committed to the word, miracles will happen daily. Really, the word of God can go in there and fix your crisis instantly. If you let it, Amen. or we could say, if you're committed to it. So you need to be, and you're looking for your spouse to be, because there's going to be moments when you need your spouse to fix themselves. Like, what is wrong with you? Go fix yourself. Go read your Bible and fix yourself. Your spouse needs, your spouse needs to say, okay, get their Bible and they need to go do it. They need to go to the solution for their life. And if you don't do that, you do not have the third cord in the rope. People want to use that analogy at the wedding. Two cords, three cords, stronger, not easily broken. Yeah, if you use it, it's not just a metaphor. It's not just a little symbol, a little cute poetic thing at the wedding. You have to do it, and then you're strong. Your spouse, is, is re they're, they're relying on you to do it, and you need to be able to rely on them to do it. So you're looking for this before you ever marry. Number six. <clears throat> oh, I've already covered it. So they're committed to the word and all the good stuff. But when conflict comes, are you still committed to the word? Are you committed to the love walk? Do you even know what the love walk is? There's hours of teaching you need to learn what the love walk means before you ever get involved with a person. Amen. Number seven, final one here. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. First John chapter two, uh, does the Lord, here's number, here's the final point. Does the Lord approve? Does the spirit confirm what you're about to do? 
And this is before you say I do. This is before you get engaged. This is before you date or court. Before you start giving yourself to a person, does the Lord confirm it's okay? Now, it takes some real uh, maturity here. Because most people say, yep, the Lord put them on my heart. I got them in. The Lord put them on my heart. I know it's from God. It takes real maturity to detect that little scratch when it's wrong. But you're supposed to follow the Lord. And so he knows beforehand if it's the right one for you. He knows long before all the process if it's the right one for you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. It's, it's using the word anointing uh, uh, synonymously with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. It's called the anointing, the presence of God, the charisma, the, the smearing of the Spirit is in you, and you know all things. So deep down, you know. You're about to take a step into unknown territory, uh, possibility of exciting territory, and deep down, you know if you should or shouldn't. Deep down, you know. Now, most people have a hard time uh, honoring that knowing because their flesh and their soul and their feelings and their emotions are so electrified that this person might like me and I think I might like them that they can't distinguish that little, that little knowing, because all it is is a little knowing, but you do know. Think about all your past relationships that you shouldn't have been involved in. You knew. Everybody's all excited by this time in the marriage. I mean, this time in the, in the service. The Lord can always, if you made mistakes, he can always turn it around for good. That's one of his specialties is turning around all your mistakes into something glorious. I mean, everybody in the Bible that made it to the Faith Hall of Fame, they had done something ridiculous. I mean, all sorts of sins, all sorts of disobedience, all sorts of wacky stuff. He turned it around and, and glorified them. And so don't get down on yourself for being an idiot. Let the Lord turn you around. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> all right, let me wrap this up here, okay? <laughs> Notice in all these things you're looking for, uh, none of it had to do with height, weight, skin color, hair color, personality, age, beauty, or facial hair. The longer you go, the dumber it sounds. People are like, well, I don't want anybody that has a curly hair. I don't want anybody that doesn't have, eye, that has too, too bushy eyebrows. I don't. If they, don't, if they don't trim their eyebrows, I just cannot look. You're, I wouldn't recommend anybody marry you. You have a list that is impossible. Many of you need to throw away your list. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, they told me to make a list of everything I want. So I, I want somebody that weighs exactly this, and they're tall and dark, and it did it. Listen, if you're a flesh person, that makes sense. But if you're a spiritual Christian, you're going to have to 
get yourself in tune. And that's really one of the problems today with society and, and why so many people aren't getting married and so many people are waiting so long. They think that, you know, uh, it's okay to look through millions of profiles. But you know what that does? All that does is give you too many choices and you'll never choose. We're so picky these days. In the old day, your community was your choice. Your little tiny town that might have 20 singles in it, that's it. You're going to marry somebody out of that 20. <laughs> so you, it almost think, it seems like because we have millions of choices that I actually have millions of choices. No, it's kind of like going to the Cheesecake Factory. They have the most ungodly menu that's ever existed. It's so many choices. You sit there way too long. It's like, oh my God, so much pressure to pick the perfect meal for the day. So much pressure. That's what's happened with social media and, and seeing the world. I used to say it was television has allowed us to see millions of choices and, and elevate our standard based on looks and, and fake personality. A movie star has fake personality. You can't like that. You can't fall in love with a fake personality from someone who never misses a line. So all of a sudden we're wanting something, you're never gonna get that. Like, like look around the room. This is all you get. I saw a couple heads go. <laughs> now, <clears throat> uh, online dating, when it first came out, it was like, oh my gosh, please don't do that. But we actually have some successes from online dating here in church. And so I'm not totally against online dating, just follow the same principles. Don't make a huge emotional commitment until you've got some answers. At least one amen. I could hear at least one amen, one amen. But what you'll find in that is that it, it's exhausting. How do I know? People have told me. How do I know? It only makes sense. If, if, you, get to, if you get to choose between 10,000, it's exhausting. Somehow narrow down your choices. Somehow. I don't know if it's change your list uh, be okay with a short guy. I don't know what. I don't know how. How you can pare down your requirement list, but somehow, if you'll put God and Christ and godliness at the top of the list, it'll help you pare down your list. Okay, because if you don't pare down your choices, man, it's going to be a stressful existence. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And then number two, if, for online dating, uh, how are you going to cover all those evaluation points? How are you going to do it? Somehow you're going to have to do it. Find a way to know or delay, delay, delay your involvement. We've seen some failures in the online dating. Widows get online, find a spouse uh, and disappear. Hadn't been to church since. Hadn't been to any church since. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You don't know. 
Uh, and you got to be careful of people faking it. Some spouse will come, I mean, some potential mate will come and, and fake that they're interested in God, interested in church. Oh yeah, we can stay here. This is a great church. And then, then gone and never, never plant anywhere else. So there's a lot of trickery out there. And I don't want the ladies to be tricked. I don't want the men to be tricked. Uh, you got to be honest and sincere about these things and find somebody that you can detect some real down to earth, genuine spiritual honesty in people. And, and part of that spiritual honesty is that I'm going to commit to you forever. That's it. I'm committing to you forever. I understand what marriage is all about. I understand it's not just what I like today and next year. It's forever. And I'm willing to work it out. So you're going to have to stay faithful. You're going to have to commit for all earth life. You're only out. Is death. But you cannot cause that death. I have some pastor friends and that's their testimony. We have never ever thought about divorce, but we thought about murder a lot. No, no, neither one of those. Praise the Lord. There's lots to it. These little seven evaluation points open the door for a whole bunch of others. Isn't that right? Uh, just, just listen, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, pay, pay little attention, just seek the Lord and you'll bump right into your mate. Either you'll see them day one and you'll know for sure, not by what they look like, but what your spirit does, but you got to be mature. We're trying to train you how to be spiritual people here so that you can make those decisions properly. Same thing when a job shows up. It's like, oh, it must be from God. Well, maybe. Right in here is what tells you. Oh, brand new car's out. I'm going to go get, eh, why don't you go right here first? Learn how this moves you rather than this. Same thing with choosing a, a spouse, okay? Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.